Welcome to HashiCast, the self-proclaimed number one podcast about the world of DevOps practices, tools, and practitioners. So welcome to HashiCast. And as always, I am excited because we have an amazing guest. Also got an amazing interviewer with my buddy Eric Vell. But without further ado, who is our guest? I hear you cry. Well, we have the one and only Constance Karamanolis. Karamanolis. You did it. Karaman Karamanolis. I did it. You did it. Well, one of them. I'm useless. I apologize. <laughs> so we we absolutely are overjoyed that you could join us. We're, we're really excited today to be able to talk about, well, not just about open telemetry, but I hope about just kind of metrics, tracing, logging, generally the kind of the whole observability sphere. Uh, it, it's something which I think is has always been important, but but I think, you know, something that's gaining a little more traction maybe now than, than, than a couple of years back. So we... Like I could have done my research, I could have stalked you on LinkedIn, and I could have got a whole load of facts incorrect about your background, who you are, what you've done. But ultimately, I think the greatest thing is, who are you? What have you done? Where are you working? Tell us a little bit about yourself, Constance. Cool. Well, actually, so hi, everyone. Uh, thank you for having me. Um, so a good thing is I don't update my LinkedIn, so I would have made your job harder if you tried to search. So really... It's even probably better that actually. If you haven't updated your LinkedIn, then um, I bet you you still get job um, job requests for twenty year old technology that you've never done anyway. Probably, yeah. I tend to unfortunately mute those mostly just because I'm bad at email. Um, yeah. Hi. Uh, so I am Constance. Oh, this feels like a little bit like an interview right now. It's funny. <laughs> Um, so right now I am at Splunk and I work on open telemetry and also a little bit of customer developer relationship and customer, you know, building empathy and interactions there. Um, and so I've been at Splunk technically, I guess, for four months because our, I was at a startup named Omniscient that got acquired. And um, Omniscient was focusing on making tracing, presenting tracing in a way that is more intuitive in terms of. I view it as more intuitive and so my bias head on, but making tracing, you know, a lot more representative in terms of what we're observing. Cause a lot of usually the paradigm in terms of tracing people think of it is mostly performance. And so we'll see like, you know, equivalent to stack trace, but it's a trace, but there's a lot of, there's so much data in your tracing there that if you aggregate in certain ways and you pivot on that data, you can actually get a really rich understanding of application. So I went to mission to work on that. Um, and why that really ranked me is that I was at Lyft before that for almost just under three years. And I am one of the original contributors to Envoy at Lyft, worked with Matt Klein on that and Jose and all these lovely people. And so I, I could say I've kind of inflicted microservice world <laughs> or it accelerated its growth in the world. And so I am partially responsible for making the observability, you know, and how we use observability better because for those who've used Envoy, Envoy, right? There's a joke, there's a stats for that. There's always a metric and it gets really complicated really quickly. And I had spent a lot of time talking to engineers, trying to make it more intuitive. And for me, it was intuitive because I helped build the thing. But, you know, that's not really fair to anyone else who isn't actually, who isn't operating it or spends, you know, two of the years of their career, you know, doing a bug fix here when there's a crash or, you know, writing the documentation on it. So that got me really passionate about making things more intuitive. And I spent a lot of time trying to write better docs and trying to give classes at Lyft to make Envoy as more intuitive as possible. Um, but it did also reflect that, you know, a lot of how we do observability and observability being metrics, tracing, log, eventing, whatever you want to call it, any way that you use to, anyone uses to make sure that their application's running in a certain way that they expect it to. A lot of the tools I like to say are kind of like Excel sheets. Right. Like if you think about it, like for metrics, you end up just having like, you know, you have a table and then you generate a chart on top of it. But it doesn't really give you the context. Right. And logs are really, you know, logs have a lot of information there. But then, you know, both metrics and logs are missing context. And so that's where tracing comes in. And so that helped me push me more towards the omniscient side and building tracing. And then before that, I was at uh, Microsoft for several years and did stuff from testing to uh 
development on Windows Phone, rest in peace, lovely product, and a big Windows and core operating system. Uh, that's incredible. Yeah. I mean, I don't know about you, Eric, but I, I kind of feel, um, I feel we, we, we have some pretty smart people on and I'm, uh, I'm, I'm really, really pleased and really looking forward to this. Now, I think kind of open telemetry, this is kind of the, not the latest gig, but, but certainly something that you're invested very, very deeply in. And uh, for, for anybody who doesn't know, Open Telemetry is a, a CNCF sandbox project. And, and what Open Telemetry is, is trying to do, and correct me if I'm wrong here, but Open Telemetry is trying to kind of rationalize the APIs for many different kind of tracing and metrics applications, kind of building it around into like this one sane developer interface. You learn the workflow as opposed to the underlying um, implementation. And it's kind of built on the work of Open Census, which um, was 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 an uh, I think another um, CNCF project, maybe. I don't think so. Open Tracing is, yeah, it's definitely a Google project. Google project, yeah, and, and then Open Tracing, which um, which I've used and I think is 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 a, is a wonderful project. Um, so. I suppose kind of the, the first question is is really kind of, could you talk to us a little bit about why there was the need to kind of fold those two projects into, well, into a single project? Mm-hmm. So um, I wasn't around for when like the decisions were made, but I can definitely, I guess, talk about it from what I'm seeing now. And it really, right, it's like open tracing has a really good API and a lot of adoption there. And then, you know, it's like all these different forked implementations. Open Census, you know, had kind of an API as well, but also had Collector. And so they're both addressing similar needs, but it ended up being a lot of overlapping work, right? And so what probably the biggest problem that we probably face in tech is that, you know, there's like 10 different options for you to try to solve one. And that doesn't actually make, you know, there is benefit in there being diversity and, you know, multiple options and what technology you need to solve your problem. But especially, at least within the tracing part, they're all very similar. Maybe it was just like, you know, different headers. And something like that. And so that was just a lot of redundant work. And um, one thing that's definitely, I think, what the best thing about open telemetry is that there are so many amazing players in who are partaking in the conversation, right? Like there if you look at all the people who are contributing, like people have, you know, I was actually earlier today, I was listening to your I was trying to get prep and listening to your conversation with Ben from a few years ago. It's, it's somewhat similar, but you know, it's like there's Lightstep, right? There's Splunk, which is, you know, like that is investing heavily in open telemetry. There's Microsoft, there's Google, there's like all these other companies, like, you know, like Datadog is investing like in a lot of non-instrumentation. And like, I'm just naming the first few that can come to my head. And there's probably about like 10, even just like really big instrumentation and observability companies are investing all of their resources into making this better is actually really fun, right? It's, I will always be biased towards Envoy because Envoy is like, you know, my first open source love. But it is like, you know, it's another example of these people with really great different set of experiences and get to hear about, you know, they also get to be representative of their own customers. And then we can mind meld and create something that is better and very similar to like kind of what Envoy ended up being is that a lot of different parties mind melded and came up with something better than what there was before. And I, and I kind of want to dig into the, the, the various folks which are, are involved in, in the projects. I think it is really interesting um, in, in, in a little bit, but um, from your own perspective, so what what is your kind of core role like uh, in the in open telemetry? Yeah, so I'm on the governance committee, and um, the governance committee. There's eight, nine of us. There's several of us, and we're we're you know in charge. I'm going to say in charge, but it's like you know we're leading the effort to make sure that open telemetry is successful. So trying to, you know, increase adoption, making sure, like, you know, administrative stuff, also, you know, community guidelines, all that stuff there. All the things are, you know, important to the community, but people don't always view them as being work um, or being as quite important until you realize when they're not in place. Um, Right. And so, like, you know, we're working on defining what are the, you know, what clearly defines beta, right? So that way we can help step that up. We are also going to be working at some point soon on getting to incubation status, right? Because that also helps with a lot of credibility within the community. Uh, so that's my role in the governance committee. I'm also heavily, or like, I've been, past few months, I haven't been coding as much just based on the acquisition with Omniscient to Splunk. And we've just had a, you know, a lot of dynamic things which are really fun and I can, a whole different topic there. Um, but I'm also heavily involved in Collector 
And that is a lot of times when it comes to least tracing and even or sometimes not maybe not as important with metrics. But collectors, like instrumentation can't be you know, dependent on your vendor, but at least like the collector part was always very strictly tied to whatever vendor you were using. And so what I think is really exciting about the collector that it provides two things. One, it could be a really good gateway into using the open telemetry open telemetry, because you can use your existing instrumentation and use open telemetry collector to like transform it however you want. So that makes things much easier whenever you're doing any beta testing with anything like that. Um, but it also then, you know, it's it's funny to say like we're all good with a lot of other vendors, but it's also we're trying to make it a lot vendor agnostic, and this was a you know, going towards one component that used to be very proprietary and making that open source. And so excited about that part because we are, yeah, there's a lot of cool features in it. I think the industry in general is, is very much, um, is very much excited about that. And I know Eric is burning to ask you some questions about, uh, about that a little further. Yeah, because I was wondering, you were talking about all these vendors that are um, working together on creating this open telemetry. How do you notice um, that in the, the cooperation? Like, because as you were saying, there's all these, these different collectors, but they also have to come together in the project. How does that, that work? It's interesting. So... Um... Also, more like just correcting myself. I'm highlighting vendors mostly just because there are a lot of there are some of the bigger contributors, but there's also a lot of end users as well. And anyone who's listening, if you want to use Open Telemetry, please use it. Even if you want to submit like a bug fix or documentation, we need a lot more end users because I guess I'll be answering. I'll, I'll explain why in a second why we need more end users. Um, yeah, I so I guess Eric, if I'm understand, there's kind of like two parts to your question. One in terms of how we all interact in terms of building the project but then you're also mentioning like the corporation part are you also asking in terms of like how that maybe comes back towards like say like for me but like splunk and how we interact with it are those am i understanding your questions correctly? yes like how as a a company do you make sure that that what's needed for your product actually gets implemented but there there has to be some cooperation in there where you have to agree on yeah the, the standards Right. I, I can imagine yeah. that being difficult. It is. I think I've been really lucky where, um, you know, like, we have a really good group of people that like to ask hard questions. And usually the hard questions, at least, you know, like if anything, you know, the hard question at least will filter out anything that might not be necessary. So like if something, I don't know, like might seem vendor too specific or, you know, it's like, I can't think of a concrete example, but I guess the thing I'm trying to highlight is that we have a lot of smart people and like with different experiences. So we do keep each other honest when we're asking a question like, Hey, well, why do you want to do that there? And if someone's like, Oh, well, you know, I kind of have this dependency on this binary. We're like, Oh, well maybe like not everyone might not have that way that way, you know, have it not permutation. Sorry to everyone on the podcast. I speak a lot with my hands. So you can't see me doing my hand juggling. Um, we'll, we'll narrate that later and we'll edit that in. It'll be fine. Awesome. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Um, uh, so, you know, like we do ask really hard questions of each other. And so that does help us keep, stay all honest in terms of how, you know, if we're creating any technical debt, um, there's also a technical committee that's heavily involved in anything, you know, like within maybe individual SIGs, like within a particular language, not as heavily involved, but when there's things that are crossing, you know, multiple languages or components, then they tend to be a lot more involved in making sure that we're starting to find a process. So that has been really helpful. Um, there and then after like kind of the back to like you know like the corporation aspect of it i think kind of like what you're both referring to is like a lot of people are excited about you know like democratizing it but it's what i think what i think has been really unfortunate and is that especially if we have you know very much locked in you know instrumentation the implementations right like you know if you have to add a particular tag in a certain way so things are understood by the back end right like it just means that when you go somewhere else because like it's only a matter like everyone's going to switch at some point right like you're probably going to change back ends you need to upgrade and all that stuff there but if we add by adding all these arbitrary constraints on our customers we end up really impacting them and that is maybe the thing that I really loved about Envoy and that I'm reconciling in terms of it's interesting to be working in open source and working at a vendor of it. Um, 
is like finding that right balance. And so like my default is I tend to, and this is me being, I, I am kind of a grumpy engineer where I'm just like, well, that's not an open, that's not a semantics convention. Why do we have to do this? And like, I do my like grumpy face. And then after like, if they explain it, I'm like, okay, well, maybe then there might be like, there's some things that we're talking about internally that we should probably actually try to make them semantic conventions so everyone could benefit from. So I think even just that vendors are recognizing that customers are tired of having to change things like every two or three years, right? Like, I think it's a pain. I think there's one more point as well, though, uh, which which is something that I've kind of dealt with, and you know, not not everybody has the the, the funding and the benefits to to kind of use amazing kind of paid for software in in across all of their environments. I mean, certainly in in my previous sort of organization, we've we've used like a SaaS based product for for our prod environment, but we can't afford to run that in our our dev and test. And, and I think one of the beauties of using a kind of a, a, a sort of a, a standardized API like OpenTelemetry is that as an application developer, you don't need to worry about the implementation. So in, in your dev, you might just be running Jaeger in memory only mode. But when you're in prod, well, no, we're, we're running in, in, in Splunk or we're using Lightstep or Honeycomb or, or one of the, the sort of the other, um, other providers on a, on a production setup and and I think also the same applies to to metrics being able to kind of have that that abstraction but that well understood abstraction and I think this is kind of the 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 key benefit for me from a practitioner's perspective that I don't need to learn 101 different quirks and 101 different APIs ultimately I want to make a trace happen or I want to emit a metric it's nice to be able to have a kind of a standard way of of approaching that task and not having to migrate um, like all of your code when you move from your on-prem situation to a cloud situation or maybe change right. languages. Or, or maybe yeah, you're maybe, maybe here you're running, exactly. you're running hybrid and uh, you've, you've got half your stack is in, um, in the cloud and half your stack could be with a completely different cloud provider or on-prem bare metal um, the, the application code doesn't need to change. And that is, is I think, the, the, that, that kind of is the direction the industry has been heading towards for a number of number of years. And I'm, I'm really pleased to kind of see um, projects like OpenTelemetry driving that, that, that kind of agnosticism of, of underlying implementation. And do you think we can see any more vendors joining in to contribute even more? And accelerate this whole process. I'm trying to think of it as like I can't really think of any big vendor that's not in the conversation. That's awesome. Um, or even like not even big, but like you know, like any like. Okay, so like very bi- like I'm very biased in terms of like you know the names that I'll see, right? Like North America or anything like in Coupon, but like all those names I've seen, like either you know they're contributing to the conversation, you know, like even just by commenting on a doc, and so everyone tends to be there and. If there's someone that isn't a big player that I don't know about, please join in so that way I know about you, right? Even then I have my own blinders in terms of recognizing names, but yeah. That, that's really, uh, really exciting. And, and, you know, things I think are moving along really good. I mean, like I have to say for, for I, I mean, I, I checked a couple of days ago, maybe you've, you've changed this, but for alpha kind of release state, things are good. I mean... Uh, I'm, I'm implementing open telemetry into uh, an application I'm building right now. I'm having great success with the, the, the API using go, but, um, for, for delivering both metrics and tracing. So, you know, should, where, where can people kind of, I mean, is, are you, are you kind of Google alpha when actually Google alpha is, you know, pretty much good enough to run production? I think it depends. So I, I'm not as familiar with all the languages. Um, I would say that probably some of them are really are like actually, so I'm going to plug in the KubeCon EU hat here, uh, not being biased at all in terms of that part. Um, <laughs> but so like, there are actually a lot of really great talks coming about open telemetry at KubeCon EU. Um, there's some end user ones like Shopify is going to be talking about them using open telemetry in production, right? And Shopify, like, yeah, Shopify has massive scale, um, like if you look at any of their engineering blogs and their tweets, like it's really impressive. And so like they're a great example of 
especially what's going to be coming up, like their talk will be really good insight into there. So there's people like that. Um, we're at Splunk, we're using Open Telemetry Collector internally in production since September. And so that like very stable release. Um, some some other, through other avenues, I talked to people who are using some variation of Open Telemetry in terms like I think like Go, definitely Java, Python, uh, Ruby, those are the ones I could think of right now, but I know I'm forgetting. And, and do you know what language uh, Shopify is using to, to implement their open telemetry solution? No. We can, let me look at the schedule, see if they said anything. I think while, um, while, while you're digging that up, we can, uh, our listeners can, can also test out um, how good Spotify's open telemetry integration is by heading over to store.hashicorp.com and snagging yourself a Shopify. Did I say Spotify? Spotify? You said Spotify. Spotify. You can't buy hoodies from Spotify. I don't know. Maybe they have a store. I better say. Yeah, maybe I just can't talk. Maybe I should backtrack that again. Can you say your last name again? Nick Janaxon. And um, while Constance is just looking up who uh, Shopify are using or what, what language predominantly, why not head over to store.hashicorp.com and snag yourself a hoodie? And uh, that way you can test out Shopify's uh, telemetry integration. Does that, is that plug pay our wages, Eric? Uh, I hope so. I mean, I'm cheap, so. <laughs> um, it doesn't say in the CFP. But I'm sure if we did a bit of reverse, like, you know, figure out who the contributors are based on the speaker. I think I can actually figure it out because I saw a Git commit from them. Yeah. I think um, I, my, my gut says it'll be a predominant mix of Ruby and Go. That's so Because uh, I think Shopify was, was, was very much built on Ruby, but I said everybody uses Go. So there's going to be some Go in there. Yeah. Eric's um, nodding. But so, like, and that's just one. Um, and the reason why I said I put on my bias hat is that for those who don't know, I'm also KubeCon uh, co-chair this year. So I was involved in creating, you know, coming up with the short list of wonderful speakers. And so did see a lot of wonderful submissions around open telemetry. Uh, like even if I'm like, if I'm going to plug my own, uh, my own horn, uh, Nina from, uh, from Splunk is also talking about GraphQL and open telemetry. Oh, interesting. We need to check that out, Nick. <laughs> Eric and I are big fans of both techs. I think we, I think we will be going to KubeCon this year, Eric, because I want to see that talk. So the alpha status then. So it's kind of when when you look at the GitHub repo and you see alpha on on Open Telemetry, is this more so because to be able to get to like beta or or RC, the project is trying to drive towards not just kind of a single language having um, full adoption of the specification, but but a I suppose a, a quorum of languages or a, a number of languages. So some some may be more mature than others, and um, it doesn't necessarily reflect that the, the the average status could be alpha, but you know Go could be prod ready or, or Ruby could be prod ready. Is is there a way of independently checking those, or is it you know very much just kind of the usual pros check the GitHub issues, play around with things? I so this is where I am blinking out because we've actually been spending a lot of time talking about this on the governance committee, but I can't remember what we said. Like we are definitely we're coming up with that rubric to make it more approachable because a lot of people are asking like when should I use open telemetry? And so having that, you know, for like these common set of languages. Um but yeah, in terms of defining like the difference between like if something says it's alpha, but it's a wink wink nudge nudge, it's actually production. I don't know what we're talking like I can't remember what we said if you know. We're just gonna have a note, or that's just me checking the GitHub. But also, like reading, always check out GitHub, right? It's a source of truth. <laughs> um. <laughs> Non-committal. I know, not the most useful answer. Over the, the past few years, I've had to implement uh, tracing in several projects and in several languages, um, and I'm now using Open Telemetry to implement it in a project I'm working on with Nick. And what I've noticed is in all of these libraries, there's always a different way to implement these things. Do you have any best practices in how to structure your code around 
the detracing bit um, of telemetry. I okay. Are we talking? So also, it kind of also depends in terms of what, how your application look like. Because also, so I guess I'm going to talk about it in terms of from the observability part, um, and from what I've seen is that you get a lot of value. If we're, talk, we're going to be talking about microservice world, and so that's um, but a lot of value comes from at least if you have every trace for every service hop, and so. Depending, so if you have a proxy that creates those uh, traces for you, then um, I'm also a big fan in terms of creating nice wrappers for it, or application developers in terms of, you know, like, if yes, right? Like those creating those wrappers. And so like, you know, every time they spin off, spin off, you know, a parallel request, then you just need to copy the context, you know, do the context propagation. And that way, then at least you can see how things go. And so I tend to advocate for people at least getting at least a server-service communication, because especially when we're using tracing, when it comes to like you know availability, instant response, there, then you can at least see where you know what component is having a bad time and what other and how things influence it. Um, and so yeah, either using a service proxy, use Envoy, everyone. This is you know that's free, <laughs> my uh, free little pitch there. <laughs> um, or, <laughs> ooh, um, or like intent, like depending if you have like a framework in terms of like, you know, like you probably have, like most people probably have some framework in terms of wraps or like anything goes into service and you could probably wrap something around there. Um, I think that's a good spot. I think that, and a lot of this is, Lyft was very lucky that Envoy provided a lot of observability in terms of, you know, like service service op. And so the times where I saw people invest a lot more in tracing after the fact, or like after we got that visibility, was if they're really doing performance, um, or because we were very microservice world, like very very microservice world, like hundreds of hundreds of microservices, tens of thousands of nodes. Um, but that being said, it's because we had something really powerful with Envoy to help us figure out the rest of the metrics. Um, yeah, um, I feel like we should almost have a follow-up talk about how you can use tracing for not performance because it's really cool what you can do with it. Because um, like everyone's starting to finally adopt it instead of just you know thinking about you know only gets you know only get an example trace for anything that goes over P ninety nine and stuff like that. Like if you think about it, you collect everything. Very, very related, but also not enough time for us to go into it. Um, but then back to your thing, like in terms of best practices, I think I guess I've seen this tension and you know this dynamic play a lot especially at lyft where back when i was on infrastructure it's like hey we have this new thing application developers go do it and they're like why and you know it's like fair right they have their own priorities and they're not their priorities tend to not be aligned with infrastructure and so yeah it's like they know how to work their own thing and like that and that's really fair but so there ends up you know trying to make things that maybe one either if you have a cool tool and then you say like, hey, if you add, you know, for a trace, like add these cool little tags here, you get all this free stuff. And they're like, oh, wow, that's really cool. Like I'll do it. Like you need to have something really incentivizing for them. But usually making it as easy as possible, like having the wrappers, I'm happy we're on the same page for that. Like having a wrappers in terms of like automatically create spans for people or, you know, if you like, if you have some definition in terms of what the method should be, the functions within there, like create those metrics or those tracing uh, spans for that there. Things mostly just try to take it out of people's hands as much as possible because it's just kind of what I'm saying. It's not usually in line in terms of with application developers, what they need to do, right? They're asked to create features and ship those things. And infrastructure is more usually in DevOps, whatever you call it, in IT ops, depending on, you know, whatever terminology you have, we're usually more responsible for trying to keep the ship running. And so that does create a creates fiction. And so as much as we try to remove that from their hands to make their lives easier, and that way we're not always being like, did you add this tag yet? Did you create this metric? When's your dashboard going to create it? And it's not fun to have that. So we've been talking a lot about observability and what what we can do now, what you have done at, at Lyft, for instance. Where do you see it going in the future? Like, what is the next big thing in observability? I will say I am not necessarily the best at like coming up with like pie in the sky ideas, but I can see where, like I do have some strong opinions where I think it's going in the next year or two. And I think it's, and I was hinting to it earlier, is like I think it's a paradigm shift in terms of especially how we use traces or traces is tends to be, you know, heavily sampled. We do pre-aggregation, right? And so usually aggregation on the collector side and we'll, 
we'll create some variation of SLIs around like, you know, HP method, all that stuff there. Like, you know, the tags are, tags pretty much come from all the generic headers. Um, but a lot of that ends up being only for performance. And now there's starting to be some stuff around, you know, like being able to generate a service graph. And so I think we're actually doing the paradigm shift away from it only being performance and actually like tracing has all your context, all the context of request. If you look back like a few years ago when there was also tracing and distributed tracing, basically the only information you would get out of there is what got called and how long did it take and maybe some annotations, but you didn't get any extra information out of there that you couldn't also get out of normal metrics. Whereas now we're starting to look at it from different angles and maybe that is because we now have more powerful solutions uh, that we can use. Is there maybe something around as well though that traditionally tracing has been somewhat limited due to the, the limitations of the, under, the, the underlying data stores? I mean, the, you know, the, the, the weight of data alone that, that, that makes up a trace is, is a lot more than, for example, a count or a, a very, very light timing metric where you're literally just looking at a couple of bytes of data. Um, and of course, the the ability to index and and to to interrogate that. Do you think maybe we're just getting better at building those tools as well? I mean, like there's some wonderful open source projects, some great, amazing sort of paid for projects. Well, that's a good question. I haven't thought about that, but it probably is part of that, right? Especially like you know, we're getting better at building, um, you know, like defining you know what the actual protocol looks like, so we're able to compress things by quite a bit. Um, that's a really good question. I don't know. But I imagine there's definitely some something that's connected in that question there. Uh, Do you think that there is scope within open telemetry to also start looking at rationalizing logging? So there are a number of different logging formats. I think the whole developer community would benefit from having, in some ways, a single kind of structured format, which at least makes the parsability of data easier is is that something which is on the roadmap for for open telemetry right because i guess if you do the quote-unquote three pillars of observability metrics traces and logs but so one thing also i want to talk i think uh talking about too is that like open telemetry also doesn't have the goal to be like the be all end all like we are going to you know provide like we're you know the metrics implementation is coming through tracing is really far along and we're going to provide log support but it's also meant to operate really well with other you know other solutions out there, like, you know, like Prometheus, right? Like Fluent D will be a logging thing there. Um, like we even started to have those conversations with those project maintainers now just to get ready to think about what incubation styles will look like. Because kind of to the earlier, I guess, like indirectly earlier point is like there won't always be one solution for all. And especially for like maybe logging and metrics, like you probably don't need to rewrite everything because like Prometheus has tried and, trust, te- tried and tested the... Um, but so there are things like the collector can actually support receiving Prometheus metrics. And so even though maybe if you're not emitting them that way, then at least you can collect them all and like maybe turn them into the open telemetry metrics format if you want it, or just even forward them along Prometheus format. So there will be support for logs as well, but it'll also, we are being very cognizant and starting these conversations early to talk to other, you know, big logging and metrics to make sure that we all work well together. So does that mean that we can see support coming up for things like Fluent D, Loki, et cetera, in OpenTelemetry? I'm not going to commit to that because I don't make those decisions, but we do want to at least have those conversations. And it's something we're thinking about now, but I don't know any timelines. As a practitioner, I would love that. And um, having a, a single kind of... Uh, a single library in my application code, I very much like, and I think we, you know, we've we've spent a lot of time talking about tracing in, in this podcast, but like I think it's really important to to note and kind of make the state that open telemetry is not just about tracing. You can configure your Prometheus metrics, you can configure the emission of stats D metrics, all of that through through a single sane um, sane API. It, it's not just about tracing it. It really kind of is a, is a very, very good universal toolbox. And back on to tracing and kind of why I was kind of doubting my original question about logging is one of the things that I find really useful with uh, 
a kind of a textual log is that there is a sort of a direct association to a, a, a metric or a, a, a span because being able to kind of get information around performance, maybe CPU uh, or various other IO pressure on this, the machine at the point when a, a log message was emitted can really give you a richer picture. So open sort of tracing supported logs of, of some some extent being able actually attributed to the span directly and rather than trying to get fancy with a correlation ID. Do you think that maybe the future of logging is that we start to fold more of this kind of traditional single line item logs into our into our spans? And then obviously we we, we can still use our uh, elastic caches and and low keys to, to to collect and uh, aggregate those, but we, we've got this this link, this reference. Yeah, actually, um, so I guess I will. I'm going to answer your question in a broader term. So, kind of how I view. It's also now maybe answering the second part of your question, Eric, from earlier, like you know, in terms of what I see a little bit of the future in terms of observability. So, I actually think that tracing is going to be, and obviously biased working on tracing also as a vendor and all that stuff there, which we do really cool stuff with tracing. So, um, but I actually think tracing is going to be, I think we're going to probably actually see a reduction to how many metrics and logs we create and tracing is going to be the main source of all that because for a lot of things like say for like, you know, success rate and all that stuff there, if you just parse the trace, you can generate all of that. So there's no point in duplicating. So I kind of think that tracing is going to be giving you the holistic view of your application. You're going to see how errors throw through. You're going to be able to do, you know, especially with the tags, then you can break things down like, oh, did a version change, all that stuff there. You can do a lot of breakdowns there. And so I view it as, you know, identifying maybe where the bleeding is happening. And if you can't, you know, just with tracing along and tracing alone with all the key tags, can't figure out what's wrong, then maybe you would probably have maybe more metrics that are scoped to only a particular component. So then you can say, okay, like I know it's within this component here, Tracy got me there, metrics is going to give me more granular thing there and may not necessarily make sense for me to put it on it trace and then further that then maybe you look at logs like secondary or you know, after metrics like okay like i know that's within this component here i'm wondering maybe did we do like did we refresh the cache at this point right and so like kind of things that maybe aren't as tied to request but maybe more on the system and that's where kind of see how it's all playing in but metrics and logs won't be the forefront because they're missing the context that we're usually like we're usually trying to respond to why is a customer being impacted in a certain way? And tracing gives you that context versus usually metrics and logs will either give you, you know, flash data point or like logs will say, yeah. we refresh the cache and so we lost everything. And yeah. I, I kind of look at it from the perspective that, that metrics will, will potentially tell you um, where something is going wrong, whereas a trace will tell you more specifically what is going wrong because you've just got a, more information, yeah. more data. I, I think especially interleaving log lines into a span will be amazing because you can actually, like in that whole duration, actually figure out what was happening at each point in that timeline. And imagine that storage is not an issue and you could have all the debug messages in there as well. You have the full flow of your application. So if somebody needs to learn your application, yeah. just look at a trace and you know exactly what the whole distributed system is doing. Let's just take a short break for a moment because now it's time for Reese's Pieces. And now, Reese's Pieces with Rosemary Wang. All right, so here we are with Dave. He is the organizer of the Milwaukee Hug. Hi, Dave. I'm glad you're here to join us on this hug segment today. Yeah. Hi. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm so excited. So tell us a little bit about yourself, what you do, what's fun in Milwaukee. Sure. Um, so I, uh, yeah, I've been working in IT since uh, college in the mid-90s. And uh, it just kind of, my career has grown since then. And I've done a lot with uh, some web design in the early days of the web, moving into helping run an ISP in the early 2000s. And uh, for the last 18 and a half years, I have been working at Direct Supply, um, starting in their help desk and working my way up to uh, chief engineer on their cloud team. 
So um, outside of doing IT stuff, uh, I've got a family, three kids between the ages of five and 15. They keep me running constantly, uh, which is a good thing. Um, I'm a lot, really involved in, uh, in their school organizations, PTA, scouting, stuff like that. Um, yeah. That's, Milwaukee's, that's a, Milwaukee's a fun city. Um, there's always stuff going on. Summertime is amazing in Milwaukee if you're into live music. Um, yeah, it's just a neat, a neat culture, a cool city to live in for sure. That's awesome. When I go now, I know exactly what I'm going to do over the summer then. (laughs) So you mentioned that you started from help desk and you mentioned before as well that you were a data center engineer and you reinvented yourself into a cloud engineer. How did you start that process? What was the journey like? So, yeah, um, I've been working in the data center here at direct supply for, more than a decade, uh, specifically focusing on data storage and data protection. Um, and over that time, our storage footprint exploded and had a 30,000% uh, growth over that time. So it went from managing a few you know, servers with some disk attached to managing multiple SANs in multiple locations and, and you know, lots of replication and you know, availability architecture, things like that. Um, and we, we hit a point in our data center life cycle where a lot of the equipment that we've been buying during this kind of phase of hyper growth was up for life cycle. And it didn't make sense for us to make big investments in physical data center anymore and start expanding our physical data center footprint. Uh, the public cloud had matured itself enough to where it was viable for you know, tier one applications and, and the availability and the, the tool set available in the cloud was far superior to what we were going to build in our own data center. Um, so the business was talking about making the shift to the public cloud. And I went home one night and fired up a free AWS account. And I, I sat down at my dinner table and I said, okay, I'm not getting up from my laptop until I've got a Windows server running in the cloud. I'm going to stay here until I figure this out. And eight minutes later, I was done. And I looked at it and I said, you know, there is nothing that I can do to walk back into the office tomorrow and advocate that my team should put up resistance for what's capable and possible in the cloud. There, it's, it's no longer a matter of if I'm going to work in the cloud or play with the cloud. It's a matter of when I'm going to be building in the cloud. And it was, it was an overnight, the, the light switch flipped for me. And I, I came back in the office the next day and kind of took on the role of like cloud cheerleader for, for the infrastructure group um, and, and just kind of went from there. Yeah. I, I, it's amazing. I mean, eight minutes. I don't know if that's a record, but I feel like we need a leaderboard now for all of right? the times for how many, <laughs> like, how long it takes people to spin up Windows Server in the cloud from scratch. So that's really cool. Right? And you're now, or recently, a community hero, correct? I am. So I, uh, so I got involved here, kind of in my own team, kind of helping people figure out the cloud, and then as we started expanding our cloud development efforts and bringing more people into our cloud migration project. I was, you know, did everything I could to help them kind of figure out what they needed to do to be successful early on um, and kind of get that, that first few steps into the cloud and and be successful. So I started doing that. And along the way uh, I made friends with our AWS account team and they made some introductions with some people who work on the storage team at AWS and what started off as, as I think was intended as just a customer meet and greet turned into an architecture and roadmap session with one of their senior VPs. Um, and it went far beyond the boundaries of what we thought our, our meeting was going to cover and the time we had allotted. And uh, I walked out of there and, and within three days, I was connected up with the storage team at Amazon that was designing a lot of the storage products that I was working with. Um, and so part of that story is that I had built some automation to deploy their file gateway platform before it was a supported feature in Terraform. So using a mixture of Terraform and some bash scripting and kind of a a process that runs back and forth between the two, I was able to fully automate this deployment. And they took notice of that and started sharing my source code with other customers and other accounts. And then they said, hey, why don't you come meet us in Chicago at our big summit and you can present on how you automated this file gateway platform and how you're using this repeatable code to deploy file gateways across your organization. 
Um, so those friendships led to being invited to participate at reInvent and present my architecture at reInvent. And that led me to a place on some of their product advisory boards, or they call them birds of a feather groups. Um, I guess the product advisory board name is reserved for the very top level. Um, but I'm, I was invited to help give feedback on their storage roadmaps and working directly with the storage teams. They nominated me uh, as the first AWS community hero for storage. So I earned that honor in September of last year. And uh, man, since that happened, it's just been a crazy wild ride of neat experiences and getting access to things that, that I didn't even know existed before that. So it's been really cool. That's so cool. That's so amazing. And in all of that, in all of the full-time job, plus the kids, plus being a community hero for AWS, how in the world did you get involved with the HUG program? So um, it kind of ties into the automation I built for the, the storage gateway. I had been playing around on Meetup and I found that we had actually a, a hug here in Milwaukee and a guy named Justin had organized it and uh, he's an Azure guy. So he had hosted the first meeting of it and I had got an alert that said, Hey, you just missed the first, you know, hug in Milwaukee or whatever. So I reached out to him directly and I said, Hey, you know, I did this automation thing. I do a lot of Terraform in AWS. Would you like me to bring some of what we're working on to the next hug? And I can, I can present a little bit on how we're using Terraform in AWS and what we've built. And he said, oh, yeah, that'd be great. Let's grab lunch and talk about it. So we sit down to lunch and he said, yeah, I'm just going to make you a co-organizer of the group and let you kind of run with this. And, you know, he works in a very small office and my office has space where we can actually host events and, uh, you know, I, I, the hug is not the only thing I organize. So I've also been a scout leader for the last decade. And like I mentioned, I'm really involved in PTA at school. And, and I was just kind of raised that if you're going to get involved in something, like don't just sit at the back of the room and take notes, like get involved in something and, and participate. So, um, so it ended up that Justin's wife and I knew each other from way back in scouting. And so he just kind of said, Oh, you already know how to run meetings. Here you go. And uh, so he's still very much involved and helps coordinate some of the Azure stuff, but um, it's my office that's doing most of the hosting of the events these days. And uh, you know, I've pulled together several of the meetings and the, the content and the stuff that we're doing. So that's so cool. I love hearing how all of the skills you were using to organize uh, you know, all of the, the kids stuff actually applies to the HashiCorp user group, too. That's really Oh, cool. for sure. That's the first time I've heard that. Uh, I, I think the other piece of it for me, too, is that, you know, when I had some some really solid mentors kind of early on in my my trying to figure out the cloud. And I feel a responsibility to kind of pay that back to people that are still trying to figure out their path into the cloud. So a big part of it for me, too, in, in being an organizer is that it's a it's an opportunity for me to give back to the community because I've gotten so much from the community already. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, that's amazing. And I noticed as part of the Milwaukee hug, you do some hands-on labs as well. It's not just talks. You were saying, you know, sometimes you have to get hands-on and not just sit in the back of the room and take notes. So what inspired you to do more of the hands-on meetups rather than the lecture style? Um, so a couple of things. Number one is that we have a really great partnership with our local HashiCorp account teams and they are extremely supportive of our hug and and helping us find new members and helping promote the group and uh one of our our local guys came to me and said hey you know i've got this this set of labs we could do what do you think about organizing like a HashiCorp immersion day and ordering a bunch of pizza and having everybody come in early and and we walk through you know a full stack how do we deploy everything into aws and uh, immediately I was on board with with doing that. Um, some of the other stuff we've done has been kind of walking people through a progression of how to evolve their Terraform code from, you know, the very basics of, you know, I'm going to stand up an S3 bucket or an EC2 instance to deploying a full web stack out in AWS. And it's really the, the code evolution is not that complicated. Um, it's just letting people kind of be familiar with it and working them through kind of the evolution of growing that platform. Yeah, so. it's something different when you internalize it and your hands to keyboard, you know, understanding the patterns and approaches while you're doing Exactly. That. Yeah, that's definitely different. Absolutely. Cool. Well, we're coming up on time, but I have one final question. Do you think you'll sure. be able to tune in to the virtual conference called HashiTalks on February 20th? 
Absolutely. Absolutely. We're promoting it both within our hug uh, and here around the office as well. So we will absolutely be tuning in. That's awesome. I know it's 24 hours. I will probably not stay up for all 24 hours, but some people might. So, <laughs> right. <laughs> Who knows? Well, thank you so much for taking time to speak with us today. And it was really cool to get to know you and also feature the Milwaukee hug. Thanks, Dave. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks, Rosemary. And now back to our normal programming. I got, I got an idea for a startup, if you will. We are, we're going to start a new, um, a new database. And um, what our database is going to be is it's going to be a, a span collector. But what we are going to do is two things. The first thing is we are going to collect our fresh data and our fresh spans, but we are then going to reduce that and extract the, the metrics to save storage space. So as time progresses, the granularity of our data is going to decrease. Nick, would that uh, be the canned version of it? And would you call it spam? Spam. Well, so this is the best bit about this. We, we care about the fact that somebody is possibly going to manipulate our data. So we are going to store our data on the blockchain. I know Arman would be loving this idea. Uh, <laughs> blockchain. There we go. We're funded. I, I mean, I, I joke aside, but but I think it's I think it's really exciting. I think once we we can get over the problem of of storing data and and being able to kind of store it in a it doesn't necessarily have to, I suppose in a structured format, but in a format that we can later interrogate and that we can do it quickly and that we can store things cheaply. Um, that's, I mean, that's really, really, really beneficial. And in a past life, we, we used to use 12 month old data and we wanted precision on our data because we would do things like looking at Black Friday and we'd want to do, to some extent, sort of compare and contrast the previous years or, or we want to look at the sort of refresh what was going on around an intra, uh, an incident or something. So being able to kind of retain the granularity of data uh, for, for a period of time is, is in some ways really desirable. And um, I think you can't just throw it away immediately. No, especially if you can actually replay the data at some point as well and then grab new learnings. It's also about the, the sensitive dependency on inputs. And kind of one of those things being the the request which comes in, um, obviously the service is then going to react based on that. And Envoy, I believe, in one thirteen has got a rather fancy new new plugin which allows you to send or allows you to log requests for for various different sort of failed states. Is that am I did I dream that or is that an absolute reality in my dream come true? Well, I don't follow the releases anymore, but I think you're talking about, is it the tap filter? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. We've been talking about that for so long. I'm so happy it's in. Um, yeah. Oh my goodness. That thing is so cool. Um, oh, now I'm just reading it. Uh, sorry, you got to go on now. I'm, I'm, I would just have to read it later on. Yeah. I'm, I'm really excited about that because it, it kind of, um, it completes the circle for me in, in some ways. It, it, um, it's always been the one thing which is recreating the, the scenarios by which, you know, you can observe a, a problem, but actually recreating that scenario and uh, wonderful tools like Envoy and, and um, big shout out to Solo as well. They're, they're developing some great tooling with Loop around that kind of process. So I'm, I'm really excited about, um, about the future, but we are sadly running out of time, Eric. Okay. Are we gonna are we gonna do the secret question, Nick? Traditional secret question. Yes. I think we should. Okay. So we have one, one final question for you. And it's a slightly unorthodox, and considering we've been talking about tech, but it is traditional because Mitra and I did this podcast zero and we've but we've not been told not to do it so far. So we're, we're still going with this. But um, my, my question to you is this. If you're not working in tech, but instead 
You were the owner of a three-star Michelin restaurant, which specifically catered to dogs. What would be the top-selling menu item? So I, I did binge watch a lot of Chef's Table on Sunday. So this is good. Um, you know, it's a hard one because like there's the easy, you know, like, well, one, I try not to feed human food to my dog just because he's a mooch. Shoot, like, because he loves salmon and steak. I feel like, ooh, maybe because I love steak tartare, I would find a way to make a really awesome steak tartare that's safe for them. So like doesn't have any of the onions and stuff like that. Um, right, any of the, because I think they're allergic to loot. Um, yeah well I think actually maybe like maybe the next variation of like fancy restaurants is like you also like okay health inspection you know safety board all that but like you have your dog also at the restaurant maybe sitting on the ground beside you because a lot of people probably want to bring their dogs to the restaurant so you had a three-star Michelin restaurant that had you know maybe had very similar menus that your dog and you would eat I think the only hard part would be dessert I like because you need to find something that's like. I was going to say, like, can, can, if humans can come too, I'm uh, I'm booking a table. Uh, I would dine at your restaurant. Well, maybe we have doggy daycare in the back, where it's like once the dogs are done, like someone's like, oh, well, let me take your dog for a walk, and then you're able to like relax and have your wine, and so. You're not getting off the hook, uh, Mr. Veld. What about you? What would what would your doggy delight dish be? Ooh, that's a difficult one. Um, well, it has to be a burger. I mean, last week we've been eating burgers for breakfast every day. That's true. Uh, because when you visit the U.S., that's what you have to do. Because your stomach says it's lunchtime. Yes. And I think a awesome burger would be an amazing dog treat or even better, sliders. Ooh, oh, I yeah. like that. That would be good. What about you, Nick? M&M's. 100% dog safe chocolate and M&Ms, my favorite food group. Mm. Deep fried M&Ms, maybe. That would be good. Because you can also like, give them, like, spread it out and they have to search for it. So they have, like, a little more time to eat it. Me and the dog. I, that would keep me entertained all. all uh, I, I think that was our most successful non-traditional question yet. And I, I want to thank you so much for, for putting up with us. Um, I, I really want to thank you for for taking the time out to come and speak with us today on, on HashiCast. I've loved talking with you. I always do. I can't wait to see you again soon, uh, hopefully out at, at KubeCon. And let's, let's try and plan something before then and, and figure out this new way of boiling the ocean to solve the whole kind of problem of metrics and tracing. Let's, let's, show the developers out there that it's not just about performance and actually you get so much value about getting a little bit granular around what you're doing with with your spans and and it really isn't that much hard work i i am um, i thoroughly recommend everybody to check out open tracing a uh, really great project if you can contribute and and i think it's it's worth kind of giving a, a a shout out. How how do folks get involved? Is it is it a case of just hitting up on GitHub, posting up an issue, or do you have like a Slack channel or anything? Um, so there's a Gitter, um, Jitter, whatever, however you pronounce it. Um, so you can ask questions there. There's like usually one per like you know language or SIG. Um, GitHub issues. Uh, there's several that are marked good for beginners. We also need to like go back. There's some of them that like we need to add more to it. Um, it's also a really nice community. Like just go in an issue if you think something's relevant just like say hey i'd like to own it um especially if you're new to it maybe post you know like your rough design doc so it doesn't so it makes it easier for whoever's going to review the pr um it is a really nice community so really github github is a source of truth we'll, we'll post all of the links uh be below this is not youtube is it like and subscribe but we'll um we'll, we'll put that in the applications as well <laughs> together with the gestures. Yes. Thank you so, so much, Constance. It, it has genuinely been a pleasure and thanks so much again for, for putting up with us. Thank you, Nick and Eric, it was really fun and look forward to hanging out again soon. See you at KubeCon. <laughs> You've been listening to HashiCast with your host, Nick and Eric. Today's guest has been Constance Karamanolos from Splunk and OpenTelemetry. Be sure to tune in next time.